Turn with me. We are continuing our study through the book of Hosea. We'll be in Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 uh, through 23. Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 through 23. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her back into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the day of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the name of Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and in mercy. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. And you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel, and I will sow for her myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy, and I will say, not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. A lot of our life, a lot of our time uh, can be consumed with the pursuit of relationship. There's this preoccupation, I think rightly so, even as we look at the book of Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone. There's this preoccupation with the attraction of a partner. It will change uh, at times the way we look, the way we act, the way we talk, or maybe for some of you, in my case, the decision was made for me. As I often tell my wife, she tricked me. (laughs) But it doesn't matter how old or how young, it's something that we all go through. We want to find someone we like, and we go through this process of wooing and pursuing. Maybe we take them out for dinners. Maybe we uh, find things that they like, and we take interest in them. I am thankful that my wife will now watch football with me. She didn't really watch football prior to our marriage. But because I like it, she has taken interest in it. She's good wife. And I probably have watched more BBC dramas than I ever would have watched left to myself. And we change for a relationship. We give gifts. We buy flowers and candy. We find, find things they like and we get them for them. Ultimately, we buy rings and we are married. As we come into this second half of chapter 2 of Hosea, we see a reverse of language of judgment. It's a complete reversal Where there was prostitution and all manner of sin, there is now a renewed courtship, fidelity, a betrothal, a covenant. And God is coming, and the word is literally, he's wooing his people. Again, it's going to draw heavily on this descriptive language upon Israel's history, upon the exodus, upon the wilderness wanderings, upon the land of promise. 
And so as we come to our text today, we're going to see three things. We're going to see a God who woos, we're going to see a God who betroths, and a God who restores. A God who woos, a God who bestows, and a God who restores. As we begin our text, uh, of course, reading from the ESV, it says, I will allure her. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. And the sense of this word is it's a persuading. It's the, the drawing, a wooing a person of the opposite sex uh, to have affection for them. God is going to come to Israel and he's going to speak to her heart. He's going to woo her into relationship. It's a wholehearted appeal uh, based upon a personal commitment. And again, we see here this language of wilderness being used. And last week, the language of wilderness was used to talk about judgment. I will make the land a wilderness. I will remove the bounty from it. <clears throat> but here it's being reversed. It's reminding uh, the, the people of their time spent in uh, the wilderness as God wooed his people as Moses presented the, uh, the relationship that God had for his people, this covenant, it reminds them of God sustaining them before bringing them to the land of promise. It is a place, the wilderness is a place for Israel of marital blessing where God entered into relationship with his people. And so this is a reprisal. This is a repeating of that national identity as a second bridal period that is to come. It's an intimacy, a passion of covenant initiation. And he calls back to her. He's saying, remember, remember the days of your youth. This is in verse 15, and they shall answer as in the days of her youth. There's this call back. Remember when we first came into relationship with each other. You ever sit around with your spouse and talk about the early days? Oh, remember, you used to buy me flowers. You used to get me chocolates. You used to want to sit up and talk all the time. Now you just want to go to bed. That's what my wife says to me. He says, remember, remember the days of your youth when I called you out of the land, when I brought you out of Egypt. At the beginning of 15, he says, I'm going to give you a vineyard. I will make the Valley of Achor a door of hope. And he's contrasting two things here. The Valley of Achor, we don't know exactly the location of the Valley of Achor. It's uh, probably this um, narrow entrance into the hill country of the Jordan Valley leading into er Jericho. But what we know, do know about it is the Valley of Achor is the place where Achan was executed after the defeated eye. And if you know anything about Achan, Achan, the people were told, don't keep any plunder for yourself. Achan kept some, he buried it. And because of this, Israel was defeated. And then a Achan was punished. And he says, I'm going to take what happened at Achan, and I'm going to change it, I'm going to transform it into a, a door of hope. I'm going to give you the vineyards that I promised to you as an inheritance in Canaan. Israel, in the wilderness, responded to God, and there's an implication here that Israel now, in the second wilderness period, will respond to God positively in obedience 
As God speaks to her heart, she will respond in kind. It is a day of decisive change. Because last week, as we looked at this, all it spoke of was judgment. Judgment is coming because of your infidelity. But now the word is, I'm going to draw you back. Israel, you will once again respond just as you responded in the days where Moses read to you from the law, the covenant, in the wilderness. Israel is returning, will return, I should say. Even though the marriage has been broken, even though they are currently not the people of God, they will once again come to Yahweh in faith and in repentance. She will once again be the recipients of this covenant blessing. He says, I will remove the name of Baal from your mouth. He says, you will no longer call me my husband. Or excuse me, you will call me my husband and will no longer call me my Baal. And what the play on words here is, is that Baal, and we, we know that Baals are these gods, these Canaanite gods, and there's many different Baals. But the, the word for Baal here also can mean owner or master or lord. And so in essence, I think what's going on here is they were using the name of Baal in reference to Yahweh their Lord. And he's saying, you're no longer going to call me by this foreign name for Lord. You are going to call me my husband. I will remove the name of Baals from your mouth. I will, you will no longer conform to the cultural around you. You will come to me as I am. They had worshipped these false gods, but they will no longer invoke their name. Not in cult worship or any other form of worship. They would only call out to Yahweh. They would be forbidden from using other deities' names. So as we come to the, the end, the conclusion of this point here, uh, we have to see something. And we have to understand something. You have a God who woos you who draws you, who is affectionately calling you. That is the relationship you have with your God. He loves you so much. He sent his son to be your groom. And the son has come and he has given to you righteousness. He's provided for you reconciliation with the father. He has given you light and life. He has come and he has established this family relationship with you. Are you living as the wooed bride of Christ? If you think about those times in your life where you have uh, come and you've met someone, you've dated someone, or you uh, think about the times where you met and dated your now spouse, and you think about that time the, that initial stage, your eyes weren't wandering off. They were fixated on that one person. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus. We are to live as his bride, understanding it's not what we bring to the table. It's all about what he's brought to the table. It's about the good things he has given us. Therefore, we turn from the false gods of this world. And yeah, we don't. 
we don't fashion idols as they used to fashion idols, right? We don't have balls that we actually worship per se. But we do fashion for ourselves idols, money and possessions, pride and position. And we place these idols on the shelf and we bow to them. We prioritize them. We must bring this to an end. Stop calling on God, but in reality, calling upon other things. How often do we pray to the God of affluence and yet call him God? We have to turn to the God who has loved us, rest in him in all that he has done for us. The second thing we see here is that we have a God who betroths and in that, and I will make them a covenant on that day. And I will betroth you to me forever. And notice here that he's talking about the covenant language here, but he doesn't say, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. That's not what he's talking about. Uh, he is coming back and he is renewing the covenant that he already had with them. He's going to come to them. And this covenant is it's a simple agreement. If we were to think about it in today's uh, kind of language, while it's not exactly one-to-one equated, you would think about a contract. It's an agreement between two parties that says, this is what I'm going to do, and this is what you're going to do in response. And there's uh, consequences for breaking that contract. And Israel has broken that contract. And God says, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to renew that contract, not based upon your fidelity, your loyalty to it, but because I love you. And this renewal is going to extend to all of creation, to the fields, the birds of the heavens, the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. The land will no longer be succumb or no longer succumb to being a wilderness, a barren place. It'll be a place that flourishes. And he will remove all these implements of destruction, the bow, the sword, warfare in general. The land will have security and will prevail. This is the blessing of God upon his people. He says, I'm going to enter into betrothal with you. Betrothal is not something that is very commonplace for us today. We don't often betroth our children. Although it's tempting, um, as we want to make good decisions for them. But the betrothal process in the Old Testament, uh, even when you think about into the New Testament with Mary and Joseph, uh, Mary and Joseph, when Mary was found to be pregnant, she was betrothed uh, to Joseph. And it was a very uh, far along, actually, in the process. It, it wasn't just, oh, we think about engagement today, and, and so I give Luann a ring, and we're engaged. Um, of course, you don't get engagement ring as a man, but there's a, it's very easy for her to have gotten out of it. She could have just come and said, you know what? This isn't going to work. I'm done. Betrothal over, right? Engagement over. It's done. That's not really the case here in the Old Testament. It's not the same thing as an engagement. A betrothal was something that was much more like a contract. It was much more set in place. And when you were betrothed, it was pretty much a done deal. And there were gifts given uh, in this process. And he says, I'm going to enter into this sort of relationship with you. It's going to be a done deal. And as a sign of this, I'm going to give you gifts. 
These signs are the, or these gifts are signs of the agreement that has been made. And the gifts establish the relationship. It, it's in essence the forming of a family unit. And what are the gifts that our God gives to us? I will give you righteousness and justice. I will give you steadfast love and mercy. And I will give you faithfulness. These are the gifts that our God gives to us as he enters into this betrothal with us. Righteousness, which is a position of rightness in all things. Justice, which is an enactment of that righteousness. He's going to give us, it says, devoted loyalty here. Which is really, or steadfast love is, is how it translates in the ESV. And really what that is, is the word hesed. It's covenant loyalty. He says, I'm going to give you loyalty to my covenant. I will give you compassion or mercy. I will give you faithfulness, this constancy of commitment and compassion. These things that are needed for the flourishing relationship that we are to have with God. As his bride. This is who he is on our behalf. And this is who he wants us to be on his behalf. God has made himself known to us. In entering into this marital relationship with us. In promising to make of us a bride. He has given us gifts that we may know him. I, I think it is no mistake as we look into the New Testament. That over and over and over again we are called the bride of Christ because we have entered into this betrothal we are looking forward as we say to the wedding supper of the lamb we get to share in these things they are revealed to us and secured for us in the new testament by the working of the holy spirit this down payment on eternity that gift that applies these things to our hearts showing that they are true he is the assurance that Jesus will do all that he says he will do. And guess what? This is the wonder of it all. It's certain. It's certain he will make it happen. Everything he has said he will do, he will bring to completion. It's our reality. It's who we have been made to be as we are in Christ. He has entered into relationship with us, he has betrothed himself to us. And finally, we see we have a God who restores. He is restoring all things. And in that day, I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer them in heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. Notice here for a second the, the answering of the earth is grain, wine, and oil. And last week, we saw Gomer. And she was talking about how she had this grain, wine, and oil. And who did she credit the source of these things? Well, she credited them to her lovers. These people she had played the prostitute with. And this is not the case. He says, I will restore the earth. I will make it produce all these things for you. I'm going to initiate these series of actions that bring rains and rains that come to the earth and produce all these good things. He is in the process of blessing us through these things. 
the land responds to what Yahweh, what God initiates, this cycle of production and agriculture as it gets underway. And it is this uh, blessing that he uses uh, to bless his people. He says, God will sow in the land. And again, we see this play on words. We said Jezreel means God will sow. And he says, and they shall answer Jezreel and I will sow. I will sow her for myself in the land. Again, we are seeing a reversal of judgment. This is a reversal of judgment that we are going to see repeated over and over again. And yet it is a wonderful reminder for us each and every time that the judgment of God comes and says, I will bring judgment upon you and you will not be my people and I will not be your God and I will show no mercy upon you and I will only sow wrath and destruction upon you. And the reversal of this judgment is, I will sow for you good things in the land. I will have mercy on those who I had no mercy and those who are not my people, I shall call my people. What begins with the charge of infidelity ends in with with a renewal of the relationship that God himself has established with his people, extending from the marriage all the way to fertility and security in the land. They were turning and they were looking to these idols, these false gods, these balls, and they were looking for security in this type of fertility, this bounty in the land, yet it did not come from them. It could not come from them. And none of this blessing, none of this uh, God coming to his people is predicated upon God or Israel coming to their senses. It all starts with God who resolves to overcome their failures. He is the one who transforms them. The restoration that God brings upon us is whole and complete. This is why Paul can say in Romans, the very creation is crying out with birth pains for the return of God, for the return of Jesus. Because they are longing for that day when all all things will be made new. The creation since the fall of Adam and Eve fell into corruption and death. It suffers as we suffer with the curses of the fall. But Christ has begun the restoration process. And all things are being made new in him. The land will not be desolate and wait in a wasteland. It will be made new. It becomes part of the promised blessing that Christ is giving to his bride. And it's all about what God is doing for his people. We're going to begin to see next week that Hosea is commanded to go to Gomer. And to bring her back. To redeem her as his wife. And this is the very thing that is being talked about here. That God goes to his wayward people and redeems them from their sin. Not because they're good enough, not because they deserve it, but for his glory. For his good pleasure. We have a God 
who seeks us out. He comes to us in our need. He speaks to our heart. He woos us. Affectionately. He allures us. A love that pursues us even when we're being unfaithful. Gomer here did not come back in forgiveness. She came, she didn't come back at all, really. We see that Hosea is going to her. And even as last week, Charles said, well, I might as well go back to him. It wasn't because she understood that she did something wrong. It was because she thought, well, it would probably be better. But God comes to us and he calls us his bride. He makes us his betrothed. He gives us gifts. He gives us righteousness. He gives us justice and mercy and faithfulness. He enables us to know him. We see in his gifts that, gifts that they remind us of who he is. And finally, he is in the process of restoring all things. He is restoring us to himself as his bride. And he is restoring the creation as the fulfillment of his promised blessing to us. This is the love of God. That while we were yet wayward sinners, or as Paul says, while we were yet his enemies, he seeks us out and loves us. He sends his son to die for us. He restores to us a relationship with him that is not based upon our merit, but upon his alone. And he is restoring us and all of creation out of death into life. If you were to ask me why we study the book of Hosea, I believe we come back here and we look at the book of Hosea because the book of Hosea teaches us something about our relationship with Jesus. This is who we are. We are the wayward wife. We are the unfaithful, unrepentant wife who is seeking all that she needs in the arms of someone else. And it is in this place that God comes to us. That he seeks us out. That he loves us and he restores us. This is the wonderful, beautiful truth of the gospel. And it is my hope for you and for me that we would understand that wonderful, beautiful truth. That we would come in faith and repentance. That we would long and seek after a Savior who has wooed us who has allured us to himself. And we would cease from seeking after the idols of our hearts, the idols of this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the unmerited favor, the grace that you have given us in Jesus Christ. Would you apply its truths to our hearts? Would you, even as we sing in the, the hymn, Create Me, or uh, Come Thou Fount, we are prone to wonder, Lord, We are prone to leave the God I love. But here's our hearts. Take and seal it. 
enable us to come to you in faith and repentance. We ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please stand as you are able as we sing our closing hymn. His name is wonderful.